0: Um, but we're going after that—a life that's full, a life that's good, a life that's fulfilled, a life that's just like, "Yeah, this is this is what it, what living looks like." And again, we got different definitions of what that might be and what makes that up. As one as one artist put it, we all just want to be big rock stars, living in tour buses and driving 15 cars. The girls come easy, the drugs come cheap, and we'll all stay skinny because we just won't eat. For those of you, for those of you who don't know, those are some Nickelback lyrics from the early 2000s. And now you will have that, that pinnacle of musical artistry stuck in your head for the rest of the day. But, but seriously, essentially, in that song, they're saying, like, this is what the good life looks like. This is what I'm going after. This is what a fulfilled life would look like. And, you know, while that is kind of an extreme example, those are categories in which we often think well, that's what the good life is about. It's about pleasure. It's about um, comfort. It's about excess. It's about just chasing after happiness and desires. But often, when we chase after those things, we find out, that wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be, and it still leaves us wanting more, and oftentimes, it leaves us in a worse place than when we, uh, we, when we began. And, and so we kind of looked at that idea, and there's a verse that encapsulates this, Jesus is, is speaking, it's the verse we ended on last week, we're going to pick things back up there today. Uh, it's this verse that's found in John chapter 10, uh, and he says, "'A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance.'" That there's things in life that we can go after, like, I think this will give me the good life, or the fulfilled life. I think this will be the thing that, like, that life is about. And so often, we, we chase those things only to find that they steal, kill, and destroy us. And Jesus is like, I want to give you the thing that will truly satisfy, the thing that will truly overflow uh, in you and out of you into the people around you, this life that is the abundant life. And so we, we, we looked at the verses leading up to this last week, and now we're going to look at the verses flowing out of it um, today. But Jesus starts teaching a crowd around this idea, and he starts using pictures that were common to, to their day, he starts talking about shepherds and sheep and, and gates and enemies to the sheep and, and all these different ideas that were very familiar to them. And he lands on this, this idea, but the idea that we kind of talked about last week that he gets at is that the good life, the abundant life, the, a life that is fulfilled that Jesus is offering is only possible when we walk with the shepherd through the gate, and Jesus is saying, I'm both of those things. I'm the shepherd and I'm the gate. And last week, we really kind of drilled down on the gate aspect, and we're going to turn our attention to the shepherd aspect this morning. Um, and so that's what he says next, right? So a thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. I am the good shepherd. And so he said, last week, he said, I'm the gate. You've got to come through me. Now he's, I, I am the good shepherd. I'm the one that's going to take you there. And this is a, an idea that if you... Um, if you've spent much time in or around church, either grown up or you've been there for a little while, even just heard some of the lingo, Jesus as shepherd is a pretty common image, uh, a pretty common thing that we think about. Um, I don't think we do it really well, and you don't have to look any further than like paintings of Jesus with sheep. to It's like, really, this is it? And he's just like cuddling the sheep, holding the sheep. I'm like, if Jesus is the shepherd, I don't know if I want that, okay? It's just strange. But like there's this idea, like what does he mean when he says I'm the good shepherd? And I think for, for many of us, possibly here in the room and those watching online as well, the issue we have is not necessarily Jesus being a shepherd, but the issue is more this word right here. We don't know that he's necessarily good. Right? It's like, okay, Jesus shepherd, whatever that means, I get that, but is he actually good? Because there, there, there's a lot of kind of thinking that, like, okay, Jesus and the message of Jesus and, and Christianity and the church, I don't know that that's actually good for me, or good for the people I care about good for society, good for my family. Is Jesus actually good? And so uh, maybe you're kind of, you're not a Christian, you're just kind of exploring things, and, and you'd say, that's kind of my issue. I don't know that he's good, because I've seen too much, I've experienced too much. There's been abuses by the church or Christians that I know. That Jesus is portrayed in a certain way that does not seem very good. And so I don't, I don't know that I, I believe this. And even those of us that are Christians or followers of Jesus we wouldn't ever say that we don't believe he's the good shepherd, but so often we live that way. Because when it comes to certain things in my life, and I'm imagining yours as well, there's like, there's a way that he says to live. There's a way that Jesus says, I want you to do things this way or see things this way or view the world this way. And I go, I think I'd rather not. I think I'd, I want to do my, my way. I want to do my version of this. And when we do that, what I'm saying is, I don't think you're actually good. I think my way is better. I don't trust that you're good and you want to lead me into the abundant life. And oftentimes our our view of, of, you know, this, what we're importing into when Jesus says things like, I am the good shepherd, it's coming from somewhere else. It's coming from a lens that we inherited, that's something from around us or our culture or our upbringing, like we're bringing that in and putting that lens on Jesus. And what I want us to do in our time today is let Jesus define what he means by the good shepherd, by his own words and what he teaches rather than us importing meaning into that. Sound good? Okay, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, and then he, right out of that, he he starts to give us a clue as to what he's going to be talking about in this passage. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So this is the first time that he says this, and it's going to come up several times in, in a short span of verses. He lays down his life for the sheep. He lays down his life for the sheep. And so he set up, here's what the good shepherd is, and now he's going to give us a picture of the opposite of that and what the good shepherd isn't. So I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he's not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. And this happens because he's a hired hand and he doesn't care about the sheep. And so there's kind of like four players here now. We have the hired hand, we have the shepherd, we have the sheep, and we have the wolf. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, bad guy, all right? There's a threat to the sheep. Uh, And, you know, again, we're not shepherds. We're not necessarily people that are super familiar. Maybe some of you are. Maybe some of you aren't with the idea of shepherding. But I think we kind of understand what he's saying here, right? Like the shepherd cares about the sheep in a way that just the hired hands don't, that they're not bought in, they're not invested. There's something the shepherd, he like, he owns it, he cares about it, he's caring for the sheep. And we have examples of this in our life. Uh, I I can remember when I was doing landscaping full-time, when I would need to buy a piece of equipment, I would oftentimes try to find a piece of used equipment because new equipment is crazy expensive. So you find a a nice piece of used equipment for a much better price. And whenever I was searching for used equipment, um, sometimes it would be on uh, Marketplace. But back in the day before Facebook had Marketplace, Craigslist, okay? People are like, don't go on Craigslist. You'll get murdered. And I'm still here. (laughs) I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but I'm saying it didn't happen to me. But when I would go, like, look for a piece of used equipment, there was one thing I was always looking for and one thing I was always looking to avoid, The one thing I was looking for was, okay, I'm buying a commercial piece of equipment, so likely it's going to be someone who used it in a commercial setting, but I want that commercial setting to be from a solo operator. I want a guy that owned the business, and he was his only employee, and he was the only person using that piece of equipment. If I showed up and saw a piece of equipment that had a sticker on it with like a number, like the number three, I ran away because that meant that that was a piece of equipment in a fleet. That they had several of the same one and that the number was so they knew what crew it was on and how often it needed to maintain and stuff. So that told me this was owned by a very large company and there was just random employees using it all the time. Like, I don't want that. I want the one that was only used by the one guy. Why? Because the solo operator, he paid for it. Like, he he knew its value. He knew how much it cost. His blood, sweat, and tears went into that. The other person using the other piece was just collecting a paycheck. Or maybe you've heard this phrase, that that story doesn't connect to you. If you've ever rented a piece of equipment or you've rented a car, see if any of you know this, it goes like this, don't be gentle, it's a rental. Anybody ever, anybody ever hear that before? Don't be gentle, it's a rental. Like, you just beat that thing to death. This is kind of the picture that's being being painted here. There's the hired hand who, who may look like a shepherd on the surface because they're doing the shepherding job, kind of the responsibilities, but when push comes to shove, when, when a threat comes, when the wolf shows up, they're out of there. But the shepherd, he loves the sheep. He is invested in the sheep. He cares about the sheep in a way that the others don't because they are imposters again on the surface and at first it's like well, okay you're you're moving the sheep around you're feeding the sheep you know you're the hired hands you're doing shepherding duties but what really defines who's the shepherd and who isn't is when things get tough when the threat comes and, and the hired hands are, are shown to be imposters now we could stop right here and, and we could we could dive in and much could be said about you know hey who are you entrusting yourself to who are you giving yourself to? Whose authority are you under? Whose care have you placed yourself uh, under? Like, do we entrust ourselves to the shepherd or the hired hand? Are we, are we trusting ourselves to Jesus, or have we settled for imposters in our life? Um, and that's a great application to make, um, and, and we should make that, and we should think about those things, but before we jump into that, we've got to look at something else first. Oftentimes, whenever we open up um, Scripture, we're, we're tempted to look at it and, and jump right to what does this mean to me? Or what does this mean for my life? But before we ever get to that point, we have to first stop just at what does this mean, period. Like when when Jesus said these words, when John recorded these words, what did they have in mind? And what did Jesus' audience, who was there that day listening to him talk about sheep and shepherds and wolves and hired hands, what did they think of? Because they would have had a a picture and and a passage that we're going to look at pop into their minds. Um, As we we examine, you know, the, the audience that Jesus is talking to, these are first century Jewish people. And so the backstory story that is constantly playing in their minds is the story of what we would call the Old Testament. That's their scriptures. And so they know that it's Israel's story, it's the law, it's the prophets, it's God's promises, it's, it's all those things that have played out. And so that's, that's constantly in the background. So when Jesus shows up and says some very specific things here, they're like, oh, we know this. We've heard this before. And Jesus is kind of riffing on a passage from the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel 34 specifically, and the way the Old Testament prophets worked, they weren't like uh, they didn't go around predicting the future. Sometimes that's what we think prophets do. They just go around like, "Here's what's going to happen thousands of years from now." Sometimes things that the prophets said had future implications, but primarily the prophet's role was to, on God's behalf, God would speak to the prophet, and the prophet would go before God's people and say, "You know, here's what God says. Here's who He is. Here's who we're supposed to be." And usually, we're not doing it, so we need to turn back to God. Uh, One biblical scholar talks about the the prophets of the Old Testament, and he says that they bring the minority report, because it was never the popular thing. The prophets show up, and they they talk to the people in power, and they talk to the kings, they talk to the rulers, and they talk to the religious leaders, and they talk to the the nation in general, and the nation and the rulers are all going one way and all thinking one thing, and the prophet shows up and says, well, actually, you're not going to like this, but, and so that's what happens in this passage in Ezekiel. So Ezekiel 34, and this is what Jesus' audience would have had in their mind as he said these things, and this is what Jesus is getting at. The word of the Lord came to me, so this is Ezekiel speaking about God speaking to himself. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Now, God does not have a problem with people who tend sheep. It's not like, you go get those shepherds. I can't stand them. Um, This was a common way of talking about leaders in a nation that in Israel's neighbors, and some of their writings, we see similar language talking about the, the leaders of the nation are known as shepherds because they, they care for the people, they provide for the people, there's protection for the people. That's a picture of honestly what leadership is supposed to be. It's like, hey, it's not this domineering thing, it's, it's a shepherding, caring, providing for, defending kind of thing. And so when he says shepherds of Israel, it's like, hey, the, the political and the religious leaders kings of Israel, the authorities, the rulers, uh, the, 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 the teachers, the, the, the religious leaders, all of them who are kind of guiding the, the, the common people, prophesy against them and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, woe to you, shepherds of Israel, and here's kind of the, the overarching char- charge, you only take care of yourselves, should not the shepherds take care of the flock, you eat the curds. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. In other words, you're using them to benefit yourself while they suffer for it. You've not strengthened the weak. You've not healed the sick or bound up the injured. You've not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. No, you have ruled them harshly and brutally. And listen to the the wording used here. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for the wild animals. My sheep wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill, and they were scattered over the whole earth, and no one looked for them. And so you got these false shepherds that aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. They look like shepherds. They've been given the role of shepherd, but they're not doing any shepherding. And what happens is they're scattered, and they're torn by the wild animals. And so Jesus shows up. He's like, yeah, I'm the good shepherd. Oh, then we have the hired hands who look like shepherds, but they run away, and so what happens? The wolf comes and snatches and scatters them. So Jesus is saying these words, and they're like, I think we know what he's saying. Do you know what he's saying? Yeah, I think we know what he's saying. But does he know that like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are listening to him? I don't think he cares. And he's just like, he's just he really is going after the religious leaders of Israel at this point. He's comparing them to these, these shepherds. It goes on, Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd, has been so plundered, and has become food for all the wild animals. And because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than my flock, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds, and I will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths, and it will no longer be food for them. So the first part of of what Ezekiel says, we'll get to some more verses in a minute, but the first part is, you, you who are supposed to be taking care of the people, the leaders of Israel, you shepherds, you're not doing your job. In fact, you're using and abusing the sheep, and they are scattered, and they are devoured, and they are hurting, and they are broken because of you. And then the tone or the tune kind of shifts, and there's like this, and and now here's what's going to happen. Verse 11, for this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out of the nations and gather them from the countries. I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel in the ravines and in the settlements of the land. I will tend them in a good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in a good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. So two parts of what Ezekiel says here, that God's speaking through Ezekiel. The shepherds aren't doing their job and God is calling them out and saying, I'm done with you. And then I am going to show up and do it myself. I'm going to care for the sheep. I'm going to take care of them. I'm going to bring them back. I'm going to find the lost. I'm going to heal the broken. I am going to do this myself. And then Jesus comes along. In John 10, he says, hey guys, I'm the good shepherd. The hired hand, the one one who kind of looks like he's doing a shepherd's job but actually isn't, Leaves when the wolf comes, the wild animals snatches and scatters them. This would have been heard very much as a critique against the religious leaders. And again, I can imagine the murmuring in the crowd going, does he know what he's saying? Like, they're going to be so mad. Jesus does not care that they're going to be mad. And he says, I am the good shepherd. He actually repeats it again. I am the good shepherd, verse 14. When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he's not, it's, it's not just an idea of like Jesus is nice or that Jesus loves people. Jesus cares for people. Those things are all absolutely true. Jesus is nice, and he loves people, and he cares for people. But in the context of what he's saying, he has just inserted himself in the place of the sovereign Lord who is going to show up and shepherd his own flock. And so there's this idea of like, hey, I'm calling out the religious leaders. Oh, and by the way, I am God walking around in your midst right now. Like, these are the things that got Jesus killed. Like, nobody got mad at Jesus because he's like, hey, love your neighbor as yourself. And they're all like. How dare you tell us to love our neighbor? Like, no, nobody had a problem with that. But people had a problem when Jesus showed up and said, hey, those of you that are supposed to be leading my people, you're not, you're corrupt and you're, you're, you're crooked and you're leading people astray. And oh, by the way, I'm God in the flesh. And then they're like, okay, them's fighting words. That's what got Jesus killed. This is the claim that he's making in this passage. I'm here to, to, to look after my sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am not like those other shepherds that you know. I am not like those that are just looking to abuse you and use you and, and, and use you as a stepping stone to get what they want. I am here to do what is best for you. I'm the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. We, we talked about this a little bit last week, um, this idea that the relationship between the sheep and the shepherd is so personal. It's so relational that you have to, to know the good shepherd because here's, here's the danger for those of us that are Christians we can believe that Jesus is the good shepherd without trusting in him as our good shepherd. I can go around and say like, theologically, I believe that Jesus is the good shepherd, but live my life as though he's not mine. And that's where that personal kind of relational thing comes in where it's like, okay, if you are my shepherd, I trust you, I trust that you're good, I trust that what you say is best, and I'm going where you're leading me. I'm the good shepherd, I know my own, my own know me. And in the example that he gives her, for the way that he knows his sheep is insane. He says, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. so he's talking about this, this, the the eternal relationship that God has with himself, that the God is three in one, Father, Son, and Spirit, three distinct persons, yet one God that have coexisted in this love relationship from eternity past to eternity future, and the Father and Son, they're like completely linked up. He's like, the same way that that the nature of that relationship that the Father and Son has, that's the way I want to know you. That's how close I want to be with you. That's how connected I want to be to you. Now he says this idea again. I laid down my life for the sheep. That's twice so far. Now I would imagine there's two groups of people uh, in the crowd listening to Jesus. There's one group who's really ticked right now. That's majorly like the religious leaders, but not all of them. There were were some who were kind of curious. But there's also a group that's like loving this. There, there were many of the Jewish people like, yes, we've been waiting for this. Our Messiah is here. The one we've been waiting for is here. The shepherd we've been waiting for so're like, yes, this sounds great. This sounds wonderful. But before they start going that way too far, Jesus kind of drops this other little idea. He says, no, 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 don't forget. I've, I have other sheep. He's like, yeah, I'm the shepherd. I'm here. And they've got Ezekiel 34 in their head. And Ezekiel 34 is like, yeah, it's, it's Israel's been scattered. And it's Israel's shepherd. And he's like, yes, I am that. But... I also have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen, and I must bring them also. They'll listen to my voice, and then there will be one flock and one shepherd. I have other sheep. You know what's really cool about that? If you're here watching and you're a follower of Jesus, this is you. This is me. Assuming you're not ethnically Jewish, which I don't, maybe, maybe you are. But if you're not, this is, this is you and me he's talking about. Those who aren't just, you know, part of Israel by heritage, but are being brought into the people of God, the the Gentiles, this other flock that is out there. That Jesus, yes, he is the the Jewish Messiah, but because he's the Jewish Messiah, that means he is the Savior and the Lord of the whole earth, of all peoples. That that, that God, as he kind of set this thing into motion, this rescue plan to save humanity from sin and evil and death, It was going to be through a people, but it was going to be for all people. The the very first promise that was kind of given moving in this direction uh, to to a man named Abraham. He says, hey, your your family, I'm going to make them huge. It's going to be great. You're going to be blessed. And the whole world, every nation will be blessed through your family. And this is Jesus saying, hey, guys, don't forget. I'm here to do something for the entire world. I have other sheep, and I'm calling them as well. I'm the shepherd of Israel, and I'm the shepherd of Israel of the whole world, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Verse 17, he says, this is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, there it is again, so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. There it is again. I have the right to lay it down. I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. See, for us to understand what Jesus means when he says, I'm the good shepherd, and have the right perspective of that, it means we have to actually see it through the right, the right lens. And, and the proper lens to, to understand Jesus through is the lens of the cross. That, that, is, that is how Jesus himself is describing what is happening here four different times over the course of just a, a couple of verses. Verse 11, verse 15, verse 17, verse 18, I lay down my life. I lay down my life. I lay down my life. Here's what I want you to think. When you think good shepherd, I want you to think of the shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep because he loves them. This is what makes him good. This is the picture. This is this this, this cruciform way of seeing Jesus and seeing the world that is like it is the love of Christ that informs everything. And see, some of us, as I said at the beginning, we're we're resistant to Jesus as our good shepherd because we don't see him that way, right? It's like I have a different way of picturing Jesus, of seeing Jesus. I see him through through a different lens. And, And actually, the tragedy is oftentimes we put Jesus in the position of the false shepherds in Ezekiel 34. We go, no, Jesus, you're the one that is abusing people, and your church is abusing people, and you don't care about people, and Christianity is bad. And listen, sometimes that's legit because Christians have done awful things in the name of Jesus, but that's Christians, not the shepherd. We put him in that position of the false shepherd. He's like, no, no, I don't want you to think that. I'm actually here to correct that. I'm here to call that out. I'm here to lay down my life. We see Jesus through the lens of our politics, through the lens of our culture. We see Jesus through the lens of our church experiences, good or bad. We see Jesus through the lens of our upbringing, Maybe it was a religious one, maybe it was a non-religious one. Maybe you see Jesus in a great way because you had a great upbringing and, and, and you grew up knowing Jesus, or maybe you see him in a terrible way because when it came to faith, it was a fundamentalist kind of abusive relationship. And so that's how you see Jesus now. You see Jesus through the lens of abuse, you see Jesus through so often, and again, this is for those of us that are Christians, oftentimes we see Jesus through the lens of someone who wants to take something from us rather than give something to us. And certainly there are things that we we lose, that we give up to follow Jesus. But what he gives us in return is always so much better. It is the abundant life that he's talking about. We see Jesus all those ways and he's, he's in this passage, he's just shouting, that's not who I am. I'm not the false shepherds. I'm not the imposters. I'm not here to hurt and to abuse you. I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for you because I love you. And what makes this even more clear, and I don't want us to miss this, the first part of verse 18 where he says, no one takes it from me. When Jesus says, I laid down my life for you, it's almost not even enough to say Jesus died for you, because it's like, well, did that just happen to him? It's like, no, he, he gave his life for you. He laid it down for you, that Jesus is not simply a victim of something that happened to him. Jesus is not a victim of of oppression or a victim of an abuse of religious or political power. Jesus is not a victim of evil. Now, all of those things played a role in the cross. All of those things uh, were, were kind of the vehicle through which Jesus died. He did die as the coming together of political and religious abuse and power. He did die because of evil. But at any point during the process, he could have been like, nope, I'm done. I'm done. I can stop this anytime I want to. Like those who are crucifying him, you're not actually in charge here. You're not in control here. You think you are. But I am laying my life down. I am choosing this. I want this. The other thing that he's not a victim of, and sometimes this gets misconstrued in certain Christian circles and it becomes very, very ugly, that Jesus is not a victim of the Father's wrath. This is not like God the Father being like, oh, I'm so ticked. Take that, Jesus. And sometimes that's how it gets painted. In fact, maybe you've heard this pushback against Christianity. You've heard this pushback against like the cross and the crucifixion. People say it's divine child abuse. Just God the Father is just angry and full of vengeance, and so he wants to take it out on Jesus. And to say that is to misunderstand the nature of who our God is, that he is three in one, that the, Father, the will of the Father and the will of the Son are the same. The cross is not something that's happening to Jesus against his will. Again, it's him saying, I want this. I choose this. The author of Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. It's something that brought him joy because of you and me, because of his love for us. I lay down my life. No one takes it from me. I want this and I choose this. I'm the good shepherd. How do you know that I'm good? Because I lay down my life. That when the wolf comes, I will gladly die for my sheep. The, the, the wolf, it's this picture, it becomes developed as this picture of like the enemy, right? That there is a very real enemy to every human being on the planet. The enemy is Satan, and he wants to, as Jesus said a few verses before, steal, kill, and destroy everything that is good in God's world, everything that God loves. The, the, the enemy, the wolf, the, the, Satan, the, who, who operates in the areas of sin and evil and ultimately death. Death is like the final trump card that the enemy plays, That Jesus is saying, when the the enemy comes to kill the people that I love, I will gladly put myself between him and the people that I love. I will throw myself in between them and let the wolf, let the enemy do his worst. And he does. And if that's where things ended, this is honestly a pretty terrible illustration. Because now what do we have? We just have, now now, now we just have a, a dead shepherd and a bunch of defenseless sheep. It's like a lot of good that did, Jesus. Like, okay, the wolf killed you. Now all the sheep are helpless and defenseless and we're all going to die. It's not a very happy story. But that's not where it ends. What does he say? I lay my life down so that I may take it up again. I have the right to lay it down and I have the right to take it up again. See, this is the thing that is the game changer. Like this is the thing that is the linchpin of everything about the Christian faith, that the enemy did his worst to Jesus, and his worst wasn't enough. Like, the death is the ultimate trump card that the enemy gets to play. He gets to slap that on the table and say, boom, I'm playing the death card. You can't beat that. And Jesus comes along and says, I see your death card. Like, I'll raise you resurrection, right? And it's just like, like it is like you have done your worst, Satan, and it wasn't enough. Jesus takes his life back up. This is the, the the, like I said, the linchpin of faith. This is the thing that makes the Christian faith go. This is the one single thing that is. It is the only thing that is a threat to Christianity. Would be if someone produced the body of Jesus and said, "Here he is. He's still dead." It's the thing that holds it all together. See, Jesus, as we've been seeing in John's Gospel, in very Jewish ways, very first century ways, Jesus claimed over and over to be like the Messiah and to be God in the flesh. He said it over and over and over again. But the thing is, anybody can claim that. I could claim that. I could stand up here and say, hey, I'm the Messiah. I'm the son of God. I would be wrong and be afraid that I'd be like smote, smote smited, smote, smote. I'm going to say smitten, but that's a different thing. <laughs> I'm smitten. Right? Like I, I could claim that, but it's, it's not It's not true. See, claiming that Jesus, claiming that he was the Messiah, claiming that he was the Son of God, isn't what gave it credence. It's what he did. It's that he backed it up. It's, yes, the miracles that he did, but ultimately it was this this final act of his. It was his death and then his resurrection that said, I am exactly who I claim to be. That I am God in the flesh, and here's how you know why. I am the author and source of life. You cannot kill the source of life. I have the power over death. I have the right, the authority to lay my life down and to pick it back up. You know, I mentioned last week that these kind of ideas, that Jesus being the only way is offensive in our modern Western years. When he says things like, I'm the the shepherd, I'm the gate, or later he's gonna say, I'm the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father but through me, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm like, Jesus, how can you make that claim that you are the only way? And this is how he's able to make that claim. This is how he's able to make that claim. Because as humans, every human, we have the same problems. Ultimately, we have the problem of evil and sin that we deal with, and those things lead to death. Death is the biggest problem facing every single one of us. And so to have a, a so we need a source of life. We need a solution to the death problem. We need someone who has power over death and life within himself. And throughout all of human history, there's only ever been one person to have defeated death. There's only ever been one who's been like, okay, I have the power and, and the source of life within myself. And, and for us to have life means we need to be connected to the source of life. To be connected to the one that life flows from. And so when Jesus says, like, I want, I want to give people eternal life, I want to give people abundant life, and it's found only in me. It's not him saying, well, I want to give people life, but you don't believe the right thing, so I'm not giving it to you or there's just certain people I don't like, so I'm not gonna give it to you. It's saying, no, I want everybody to have life. I want everybody to live and experience the abundant life that I have for them, but there's only one source of life, and so you gotta come to the source. So It's so, 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 so tragic that so many of us, we go looking for life in other places, and Jesus is like, you're not gonna find it there. Not because I don't want you to find it, but because there is only one source of life. We experience life, and we're connected to the source, and so listen, if you're a Christian, here's how this plays out. You and I have life, not because we have life apart from Jesus, but because we're connected to him. There is no life apart from him. Like, like there, there's not like Jesus like, okay, I'm going to give you some life over there and use some life over there, and you can kind of go float off on your own and do your own things. like, no, there's only life as long as you're connected to me. As long as, and the New Testament authors say, as we're in him, as we are in Christ, that we get to participate in his resurrection, and so as, as the shepherd comes along and lays down his life and, and the wolf takes his life, right, the, the enemy takes his life, but the shepherd rises and Jesus has defeated the enemy, he's victorious over the enemy, we are now victorious over the enemy. Not because we defeated him, but because Jesus did and we get to participate in his victory. We are, are victorious over sin, not because we are, but because Jesus is. We are victorious over death in the grave, not because we were like, yay, we did it. I beat the grave, but because Jesus has, and I am now connected to him. I share in his life. I share in his resurrection. And just like with Jesus, the enemy may do his worst to us, and I hate to break it to you guys, he can and he will, but as long as we are connected to the source of life, his worst to us won't be enough either. But there's life in Jesus. We are united to him. And so Jesus comes along and says, well, I want you to know I am the good shepherd. And here's how you can know that I am the good shepherd. Because I laid down my life because I love you. And I was able to take it back up again. But that, that enemy to all people has been defeated. I laid down my life. I take it back up again. And so if that's true, here's the really good news. If that's true, then Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the sovereign Lord who came to tend his own sheep, which means he wants to bring you into good pasture, have you lie down and give you rest if you're tired. Jesus as the good shepherd means if you are lost, if you are searching, he's gonna find you. Because Jesus as the good shepherd, if you're feeling broken, he wants to heal you. If you're feeling weak, he wants to strengthen you. If you're feeling, if you're longing for justice in your life and in the world, wants to bring it to you. I'm the good shepherd. I am these things that I promised. I always will be. I laid down my life. I take it back up again. This is the hope that we have. This is the hope that does not fail, that does not let go. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you are our good shepherd, and that's not just an idea, uh, but that is anchored in something that happened. in Your death and resurrection. Jesus, we thank you so much for that. We thank you that you've laid down your life for those that you love that you took everything that the enemy had to offer, that you died on the cross for our sin, the sin of the world, for every bit of evil that's ever been unleashed in your good creation. And you rose from the grave, defeating the power of death forever. We thank you for that. We praise you for that. We're so blown away by the fact that we get to participate in that. God, I pray for those of us that are your followers, that that would be the thing that informs our lives. God, I pray for those that are searching that are wondering, I pray you continue to pursue them, chase them down, reveal your goodness to them. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.